This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Good morning, I'm Simone Sassiaris. And I'm Kate Watson. It's Friday the 17th of September. In your Squiz today, Australia's submarine deal. Understanding unemployment. Russia goes to the polls. And claiming the crown for number one song. This is your Squiz today. We talked about it yesterday on the podcast, Kate, but at that point, it was a lot of rumour and speculation. Now it's official. Australia has a new alliance. It's called AUKUS. To spell it out, it's just A for Australia and then the UK and US. It's been described as one of the biggest defence developments for Australia in decades with a headline act, Nuclear Submarines. Yep, as part of this security pact, as it's being referred to, the United States and the UK have agreed to share their nuclear-powered submarine technology with Australia. To understand this, it's worth understanding why submarines, and specifically nuclear submarines, are an important defence asset. Basically, nuclear-powered submarines are quieter, they're faster, they can stay underwater longer. So if Australia had them, the idea is our Navy will be able to patrol more of the Indo-Pacific region and at a time where there's lots of concern about China's growing influence. That really goes to the heart of what this is all about, what AUKUS is all about. It's effectively highlighting that China is a big enough threat that the US and UK have decided it's important to share their very top secret technology and capabilities with Australia. For context, only six countries have nuclear subs, the US, the UK, India, China, Russia and France. So it's a pretty huge project and one that'll take some time. The first of those subs won't be in the water until at the earliest 2036. It's also going to cost a lot and it means we end our previous submarine agreement with France and there'll be a cost for doing that too. But Kate, let's focus on that nuclear part. When people hear the word nuclear is prick up. Yeah, nuclear's a loaded word. In this instance, what it means is the subs will be nuclear powered, but that nuclear power won't be generated here in Australia. We don't have the capability to do that. And the Prime Minister yesterday was very careful to point out that the government was not seeking to establish nuclear weapons or establish nuclear capability here in Australia. Of course, though, it's still contentious, so expect it to be a topic of conversation in and around our politics for some time. As for the broader context, China, through their US embassy, have responded to the formation of AUKUS. Safe to say they're not that happy about it. And those in the know are expecting things to heat up post this announcement. We learned yesterday that Australia's unemployment rate fell to 4.5% last month, Kate. That's the lowest it's been in almost 13 years. It sounds like a pretty top result when we put it like that, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah, there's always more to it. COVID lockdowns in New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT meant many people gave up looking for work across the last little bit of time, so they aren't counted in the official numbers. If we look specifically at New South Wales, 173,000 jobs were lost in August and the number of hours worked fell 6.5%. That's weighed on the national numbers, which shows that fewer Aussies were working in August compared to June. Also worth calling out is the number of hours worked by those who have a job fell last month and underemployment, so those in work but could do more work, rose. If you're a bit confused, that's fine. What this all means, and it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but as we come out of lockdowns, our unemployment rate could actually increase. 
Yeah, it can definitely get confusing. Broadly speaking, though, unemployment dropping is not necessarily a sign of the labour market strengthening. Still on Australian news, Queensland has become the fifth state to pass assisted dying laws in state parliament. It means those eligible suffering from advanced conditions will have the right to choose to end their life, Kate. So that law passed through the parliament late yesterday and it was a conscience vote. It saw support from both sides of politics. The law will come into effect from January 2023, so it's from then that eligible Queenslanders will be able to legally end their lives with the help of medical staff. As for what eligibility includes, well, you need to be over the age of 18. You need to have a terminal illness that's expected to cause death within 12 months. Of course, there's critics of the legislation. They're concerned about the adequacy of palliative care in the state and also that faith-based hospitals aren't able to object to euthanasia being performed on their premises. Regardless of that, it passed convincingly 61 to 30, and it means now that every state except New South Wales has passed these kind of laws. They have, though schemes aren't running in Tasmania and South Australia just yet. For Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk's part, she said the new laws give people, and this is a quote, dignity in death. Looking overseas to Russia now, politicos around the world will be watching closely as Russia heads to the polls today with voting to end on Sunday. President Vladimir Putin's party, United Russia, is sitting at a record low approval rate of 26%, but it's expected to hold on to its majority. And that's because there's plenty of question marks about how democratic Russian elections actually are. Some reckon this election will be the least democratic since Putin came to power 21 years ago. One of the call-outs has been that the Kremlin has barred a number of independent candidates from running. That's something we've seen play out with that assassination attempt on that very outspoken Putin critic Alexei Nalvani. Voter fraud is also a big concern, and that's because online voting is being implemented this time around. It's set to be an interesting one. Putin has been in power since 2000 and is the longest serving Kremlin leader since Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin. He's in the news a fair bit. And if you want to learn more about him, we have a squeeze shortcut on all things to do with Putin. A link is in your episode notes. Changing it up a bit now with some music news, Rolling Stone has updated its list of top 500 songs for the first time since 2014. Kate, I know you're a big Taylor Swift fan, but I'm sorry to tell you she missed out on earning the title of number one greatest song of all time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she did, Simone. That's okay. She was in there, though, somewhere in the top 100, I believe. Ultimately, the title was given to Aretha Franklin with her song Respect. Interesting how they put this list together. Basically, they asked more than 250 artists, musicians, producers to rank their personal top 50s. Their results were then combined and this big list was compiled. Lots of debate about it. Lots of debate. For my part, I love that Daddy Yankee's Gasolina made the top 50. Not where I thought it would be, but I love it. (laughs) So good. As for the top three, coming in second was Public Enemies Fight the Power, followed by Sam Cooke's A Change Is Gonna Come. Yeah, all oldies. Nothing too modern in the top 10. Oldies but goodies. Squiz the day, Kate. What have you got? Uh, It's getting a bit predictable on a Friday, but that's the nature of September, of course, sport. Two NRL matches this weekend, both do or die games. The Wallabies play tomorrow against South Africa and the Brownlow medal is on Sunday night. So something for lovers of each of those codes. 
For me, we've talked a bit about voting and elections today, and Sunday is the anniversary of New Zealand becoming the first country to grant all women the right to vote. That happened in 1893. And before we wrap up, Kate, a quick look at Friday Lights, a weekly segment in our Squiz Today email. Today we have a recipe for some poached prawns with lemongrass and lime. It's delicious. I highly recommend checking that one out. There's also a recommendation for a TV series from the BBC called Vigil. It's on Foxtel and Binge here in Australia. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard good things. Yeah, and look, it's so topical now that we've had that submarine announcement. It's a British TV series. It's set on a submarine. It's all about a murder investigation that then involves the Navy and the British Security Service. I started it last week. I've watched all four available episodes. Another one is out early next week, I believe. I'm hanging out for that. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's gripping. Really, really gripping. And as you say, very fitting with all the talk of submarines today. I'll pop a link to that in your episode notes, or you can also find a link to those recommendations, more detail on the stories of today and more in the Squiz Today email. And if you aren't already, you can sign up to the newsletter on our website, thesquiz.com.au. That's all from us. Have a good one, and we'll catch you again on Monday. now from our podcast partner, BHP. Across the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to Squizzers about BHP and the work they're doing to provide the materials that we need to transition to a low emission economy for the energy transition. At the start of the podcast, you heard how copper is used to make electric vehicles, wind turbines and solar panels. So when it comes to producing it, reducing emissions is a priority. And that's why BHP is making solar, wind and battery deals to help power their South Australian Olympic Dam copper mine. It's happening now at BHP.